0: the value that our team can create, it's not internal. So our team doesn't have a product or we don't spend money or we don't uh, really like build the website, Uh, that's done by the other departments. So product and marketing and operations, Mm -hmm. they are in direct contact with our customers and they bring in the money. And that's also why I very strongly with my team always focus on that the only way we can have an impact is if we work very closely together with those departments uh, around us. Mm
1: Project A Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of the Project A Podcast. I'm Philip heading the business intelligence team and the marketing team at Project A Ventures. And today I'm in Amsterdam with my friend Hank Smith from KataWiki. KataWiki is one of our portfolio companies and was actually Europe's fastest growing startup in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. So I'm really looking forward to exchange with Hank today. We're going to talk about data teams uh, and explore a bit why a lot of data projects actually fail. Uh, I hope that we can learn a lot from KataWiki on how to avoid this failure from happening. Um, so let me introduce Hank. Hey, Philip, good uh, good afternoon. So, Hank, you're the um, Head of Analytics and Data Science here at KataWiki. Yeah. Um, what made you move into the startup world and why are you here today? Yeah, yeah, thanks, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I am trained as a physicist. So I
0: studied physics, mostly theoretical physics at university. And already there in physics, the whole point is that you collect a lot of data, chaotic data, with, without patterns and with patterns. And the goal there is to to make sense of that and to come up with models that, in the case of physics, describe the universe and the world and the smallest and the biggest things, uh, which I really like. So, so exploring two things that you don't really understand trying to find at that, that moment that you think, ah, now I get it. I understand why this works like this. That's always a moment I uh, really uh, loved. Um, from physics, uh, I moved into academic research, um, where I hope to find sort of that. So to, to dive into topics and to really find these moments of, whoa, this is interesting. This, and now I understand what I'm doing. Um, however, what I then learned in, uh, in research is that it's sort of the goal of doing that, except that the pace is really slow. Because, of course, in science, you have to be very thorough and you want to sort out things until you know 99.9% sure that something is like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also how it went in my PhD. So after two and a half years there, I realized that I knew exactly what the next one and a half year would look like. like I could I could just, I could write it down, would know exactly the planning and everything, how, how it would go. And that really demotivated me because I don't like the world to be predictable and, uh, well, that you know what's, what's going to happen. And then um, th- that week, I uh, was at a party with some friends there who were all uh, working at Booking.com uh, as analysts, data scientists. And I told them a bit about my job and that I had these considerations about, well, it's going a bit slow and it's so predictable. And then they were all like, okay, well, man, you really have to join us then. It's so much fun. We uh, Every week we work on a different subject and there's always something else to work on. And we, u- we use data to find out how everything works. Um, yeah, they were really... Enthusiastic and passionate about, passionate about uh, what they were doing, and also just the, the type of persons, which I later learned is uh, the typical startup person. They were just energetic and uh, yeah, they just enjoyed what they were doing, full of uh, full of enthusiasm and energy. So that really, uh, yeah, that, that triggered something in me. Um, yeah, and then a few months later, I indeed joined uh, Booking.com um, after uh, giving it some more thought and uh, thinking about this conversation with them. I just realized I wasn't made for the academic world, I was made for the, like, a fast-paced environment.
1: And did everything hold to be true that you expected?
0: Yeah, well, um, it was definitely uh, much, much better. So, indeed, uh, at Booking, when I joined them, they were, were already, uh, I think, 6,500 employees. Um, so, that's hardly a startup anymore. That's a very successful uh, scale-up, or, well, I think even beyond that. Um But then still, the the pace was much, uh, much faster there. And a lot of people that just were snappy and that always worked on three different things and they were pushing out results. And I really liked the change of environment. Um, What I still missed a bit at booking was, I think they were already, they solved most of their really fundamental problems, right? They were super profitable already. They were just uh, going, uh, it was a machine that was going at 300 kilometers an hour. uh, and, And everyone was just refining the machine, I think. So I missed a bit uh, really thinking and changing core principles of the mm-hmm. company um, because at that size, if you're just hired as an analyst, you're you're not going to do that. Um, so after two years at booking, I um, decided to move to a smaller company and that company was Katawiki um, and who was at uh, 200 employees at that moment. Um, and there I really found all of this what I was uh, was looking for. Um,
1: it's really interesting that you're saying to a smaller company, because for us, uh, Katawiki <laughs> is one of the flagships in our portfolio, uh, also in terms of employees, but also in terms of revenue. Uh, Katawiki also raised uh, sizable um, financing rounds. I think the last one was over 80 million, so it's definitely one of the bigger companies. Yeah. Can you maybe explain a bit what Katawiki is actually doing for our listeners who are not so familiar with the company?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, indeed, I was hired right after that last investment round, so probably thanks to that I was hired. Um, and the reason we got an investment was, um, yeah, Katawiki is, a, is an auction platform um, for special and unique objects. Um, so our founders, uh, Marco and Vinay, Um one of them was a comic book collector. Uh, really fanatic about comic books right? So what he will do is he will always browse the internet and search for special comic books because he doesn't want the latest uh, Donald Duck or uh, well just the latest uh, standard comic he wants like these special things that are 50 years old and a first edition and what he experienced was that he couldn't really find the place to only find special objects so he would go to eBay and other so in the Netherlands we have uh, Marktplatz um, like used used products marketplaces and there he had to Essentially, browsed through everything or all the crap, as he would uh, phrase it, just to find that one unique item for him that he would be interested in. Um, and from that as a starting point, he thought, it, "Why, why isn't there like this platform, this place where collectors and passionate enthusiasts about uh, about what they're doing can meet and can sell only special items to each other?" Um, so that's what they started, and to to maintain that specialness, so the uniqueness on the platform. Um, Katawiki employs a lot of what we call experts. So those are people with a lot of domain knowledge. So they know all about comic books, uh, but also we have uh, 50 other categories like uh, watches and jewelry and uh, antiques uh, and uh, cars, mobility. So everything you can collect or everything that's special or unique. And those experts, they know all about those fields. So they they have been in the watches branch uh, branch forever, for, uh, for instance. Um, so they make sure that everything that we offer on the platform is really special, that people that really know everything about watches or comic books, that they can just go to our platform and go to the, the comic books category and that everything they find there, it's really, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for. Um, yeah, and our founder Genday was right that that was something that was, well, uh, there was demand for that. Uh, so they grew really fast in the first couple of years and that helped them to, uh, to secure a, a couple of investments in uh, various rounds. Um, So if I then go back to the the moment I joined, when we had 200 people, I think at that point, half of them was actually an expert. So people with those domain knowledge who are very operational running our uh, auctions. And then we, of course, had some uh, customer support, marketing, um, and some other supporting functions. And I think that the technology team was about, um, I think, close to 30 people. So all development and product uh, and data at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. And back then, you, uh, you said that you started as an analyst. Today, you're actually heading the analytics team, including data science. Yeah. Um, what does this team actually do at Katawiki? Yeah, so I think the mission of our team is to... Uh,
0: so so the, the why behind why we have this team at all um, is the people on my team and myself, uh, we want to make Katawiki a better company and a more successful company uh, by using data in a smart way. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a very broad uh, broad thing to say um, I think using data in a smart way that is sort of a, a spectrum so on one end uh, you really have uh, like business analysts who really are very close to the business and just help the business to interpret their their data so uh, for instance if we run marketing campaigns we want to know exactly how they are doing how many people click on them and then come to the site and how does that whole funnel look like do they buy something do they come back after that so that's that's really using data to just understand what's going on. I think the other end of the spectrum, uh, which is more data science or data engineering, is really to build data products. Um, I think a good example is always recommender systems. So if someone comes to the site, uh, we know what this person has done before on our site, and we know what uh, ads they clicked on, and we know what their interests are. Um, Yeah, and every week we have new auctions, every time with unique items uh, going live, and we want to serve everyone who comes to us the items they are interested in. So then data scientists uh, are very good at, at those type of challenges to build models that in real time can really predict or uh, suggest items that, that fit well to uh, to people.
1: So after all, you're back at predicting. Uh, in the beginning, you said that you didn't want your <laughs> to be so predictable. <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you already mentioned a couple of stakeholders. Who would you say are the main stakeholders of what the data team delivers here at Katowiki? Yeah. Yeah, so our team, uh, in a way,
0: is centralized, so we don't really belong to to one department. Um, so we work with, with, with all departments, uh, and that's also how we shape the team a bit. Um, so while we are centralized and we are sitting together as a data team, also everyone in their team in the team has a bit of a focus area, because I do believe mm-hmm. that it helps to have some focus on the topic, also because things can get quite complex. so running a product team and knowing all the subtleties of our AB experiments, that takes quite some time to get into that, comparing to, for instance, uh, marketing campaigns and the whole setup there. Um, So everyone in the team has a focus area with some key stakeholders there, which are usually uh, the decision makers or really the people that that run certain functions. Um, And they work closely with those people uh, to find out what their challenges are, what they're currently working on, uh, what ideas they have to improve uh, what they're doing. so stakeholders, we really find uh, yeah everywhere in the company.
1: All right, um, and I guess uh, like in most of uh, the other startups as well, marketing is a is a central one because that's usually where a lot of money is being spent, and if you can increase efficiency there, it makes a whole lot of sense to do so. Um, you also mentioned that um, the auctioneers are key to what Katawiki as a company does. Um, in what way are you supporting those guys? Yeah, so the auctioneers
0: is really what makes katawiki stand out from other marketplaces which are not curated right so we are curated thanks to those auctioneers those experts um and a big project what we're doing now is um i mean what is of course a challenge for us is that it's it's quite labor intensive to have experts look at Mm -hmm. everything that is submitted right so anyone can sign up at our site to become a seller and then start submitting items so then they uh, have to upload some pictures and fill in some Data about the items like the, the brand and the color and some description about it. And then it's the expert's job to first decide if the item is special enough, so if it's a unique object, and then also to to place it in an auction and think about uh, when are we going to auction it, in which category exactly, how long should the auction take, uh, all those type of things. Um, and of course, as the company grew very fast, so in well within one or two years, it went from two people to more than 100. Um, all of this was done very manually from the beginning because usually with your tech stack you're a bit behind uh, if you're growing so fast, um, which I think a lot of uh, fast-growing companies will recognize. So we built a lot of manual processes where all these experts, uh, especially in the early days, they did an amazing job in running all these auctions. Um, however, what we want to do moving on um, to make their work uh, as efficient as possible, but also to essentially use them on their specialty, um, uh, which is thinking about the, spe- the, the items and really uh, deciding if, if things are uh, special and using the expertise. Uh, we want them to spend almost all their time on that and not on overhead, like clicking and doing the administration and dragging items from A to B to C and doing that whole flow.
1: So what you're saying is automating their workflow is one of the key things in, that you as a data team can deliver to those guys?
0: Yeah, we don't really say automating because um, it's not the goal to, to replace this department by models because we, we do strongly believe that the experts is what makes us uh, special, but we essentially want to help them w- with insights and data tools that help them do their job. So a good example is that, so over the last years, uh, experts have done literally millions of, um, let's say rejections or approvals of items. And we fortunately we stored and gathered all that data. So we know exactly three years ago, which items were submitted in which state and if they were then accepted or not. So now uh, data scientists in my team have been building uh, models that essentially predict uh, given an item is submitted what the chance is that it will be approved by an expert um, because there are just certain items that are so special that we will always approve them. So like a, a GoldEx oyster from 1971 that is just a unique item it's special it's old it's valuable so there's no doubt that we want to have that on our platform um, so this model essentially picks now the, the items that were that have a very high probability of being approved and then we already can automatically approve them for the experts so the expert can actually focus on the edge cases which are the complicated ones um, so then we assist the experts by taking away their let's say their easy work their, their automatable work so they can focus on their uh, on their specialty
1: mm-hmm. interesting um, you now described a bit in more depth what what you're doing for this team Um, Moving a bit back, um, a question that I oftentimes ask uh, in interview processes when it comes to talking to um, um, business analysts um, is what is actually success for a BI person or a data person? Because in marketing, let's say, it's a bit more obvious, marketing is supporting and generating revenue, Um, a BI is very much a support function as you put it. Um, So how do you define success for you personally and also for your team? Yeah, and that's
0: that's a very good question. It ties back a bit to how we started this conversation. That also, it's not easy. So you also see it fail sometimes to be companies that are very optimistic and hire a big data team and then struggle to make it really uh, valuable. What um, I really, uh, as you say, we're we're in a bit just a support function, and I very strongly believe that the value that our team can create is not internal. So our team doesn't have a product, or we don't spend money, or we don't. Uh, really like build the website, Uh, that's done by the other departments. So product and marketing and operations, Mm -hmm. they are in direct contact with our customers and they bring in the money. Um, And that's also why I very strongly with my team always focus on that the only way we can have an impact is if we work very closely together with those departments uh, around us. So for us, success looks like um, if we helped our stakeholders to set, for instance, the best priorities. Right? So any product owner has a whole list of hypotheses and ideas that he would like to work on. And then data can be a fantastic tool to prioritize all those ideas by finding out how much impact would something have, what share of traffic would click on a certain page or a certain ad. And if we would have an uplift of 1% there, what would it mean for the for the bottom line? Uh, so that's what my team does a lot. They, they sit with stakeholders to really understand, like what are you working on? What ideas do you have? And how can I help you to... Prioritize your ideas or to evaluate success of the things you build um, or to, to generate new ideas by, uh, by exploring all the data that we have. And if essentially all our stakeholders have a perfect set of priorities, meaning that they always work on the highest impact things, that for me means that, that my team is, uh, is really having
1: success. So in a way, it's the feedback that you get from the stakeholders and if they know that they have their priorities straight, then you're happy and that means your team is working successfully. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Which is sort of opposed to uh, what you sometimes
0: see in other companies uh, with uh, teams of analysts. Sometimes they can be a bit, well, let's say introverted. So they, they built this intelligence center and then from there they start uh, broadcasting their intelligence yeah. insights. So they, just, they start analyzing data themselves and then they see something right. that, that could indeed be an opportunity but it's just not aligned at all at what the business is currently working on. So then they will send emails to the management team or company saying, we found this opportunity in the data, we should start working on it. Uh, however, if, if the business side is not ready to pick that up or, or has other priorities, then it will just have, have no impact of doing that. And that's, that's why you really have to be always discussing and together with, uh, well, with the departments around you.
1: All right, so uh, we now learned why it makes sense for Katawiki to have this data team and what you define as success. Um, as a startup founder or working in a very early stage company, I might ask myself, what does the team actually need to look like? So, when would I hire my first data person and what would this person's job profile be?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, the when um, I think when you just started a company and you are two founders or you're five people or you're uh, really just a small team. Um, then typically your first year or two years you're just you're being drowned in work because you have don't have anything yet or everything you have is still broken because you just build it um, and you just you just know what you have to do because you have to do everything essentially mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's hardly time to to like sit back and think deeply about the priorities of the three IDs you have because just things are on fire you have to fix them. That's not really the moment yet where you need uh, analysts or data scientists to, to build models. I think when you grew a bit and um, you have sort of a, most functions have a couple of people. So most departments that, that your company has, you have a couple of people working there on multiple ideas and doing multiple things. Um, I think that's a good moment to, to start thinking about a, a data or business intelligence team. Um, because the moment that you have these multiple functions with multiple people, uh, it becomes hard to grasp the complexity of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. So as a founder, for instance, I mean, if you have four people working with you, you can still grasp everything they're doing. If it's 25 of them, it's hard to in detail know everything what they're doing and what the success of that is. So that could be a very good moment to, to start thinking about a, a BI team that that starts collecting data and, and uh, discusses about what KPI should be and how the success look like for a department and sort of bring that in a centralized place where as a founder, mm-hmm. you have dashboards or reports where you can just see, well, this department uh, had this much success in last month because they invested this much hours or money and the result was uh, this success. Um, so the the moment I think essentially that you cannot oversee your whole company anymore as a founder, I think that's a very good moment to start with, with BI or analytics mm-hmm. um, who will create that overview for you.
1: And now um, you use the words BI, analytics, and data. Oh, yeah. Is that something we, we can use interchangeably? Is that synonyms? Or <laughs> is it important to make a, a distinction between these three words? Yeah, yeah, I guess it depends who you ask. I'm, I'm quite <laughs> agnostic uh,
0: towards the job titles and then the function titles. Um, so, so my team is called uh, Data Science and Analytics, which essentially is for me the whole spectrum of using data in a smart way, which is the, it's the mission of our team. Um, I think business intelligence is commonly used to describe just having a set of dashboards and, and self-service tools where people can can ext- extract their own insights. So for me, it's more like a, a tool, like you have BI tooling for people to access uh, to get their insights. But well, there's other definitions out there, and I uh, I don't really care about them. Um, I mean, to me, the, the the core thing is that you have smart people that that do smart things with data to bring value to your company. Um, data scientist uh, so actually everyone in my team since recently has the job title data scientist
1: awesome. also
0: because it communicates a bit more easily and it nowadays aligns i think mostly with other companies who also tend to call most people that work with data uh, data scientist. but then within the team we have differences so some people are much more uh, technically oriented so really into building models whereas others are more on the analytical side I think I can tie it back to, so you ask me what should the profile look like of someone that you um, that you want to hire. Um, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, but basically only that's a question that we oftentimes get from founders, right? So if you uh, you describe the situation where it makes sense to hire this first person, yeah. and then the next question would be, so I'm, I'm with you that we're quite agnostic when it comes to job titles, mm-hmm. to both of us, I think, but you need to set a, a job profile uh, out there in order for people to apply. And then the question is, Okay, is this a an business analyst? Is this a BI person? Yeah. Is this a data engineer? A data scientist, as you put it? Mm-hmm. So that's basically where the question is coming from. Yeah. Okay. Um, you just said that you're quite agnostic on how you call it once the people are in your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully they agree with that. <laughs> um, but hiring this first person that you described, what would you uh, have the job profile look like? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, so to get started, you, you need two things. Uh, you need, like, really an engineer who can make, the, like, put the data in an accessible way for someone with technical skills. So that could be just, just MySQL databases or anything else that someone uh, with with technical skills for that can access. So that will be someone we will typically call a data engineer. Although in the early stage of companies, it's usually a, like a full stack or a backend developer that helps to set it up, to set up a database and those things. And then the first person to to hire to make use of that. Um, yeah, I would, I guess, call that person an analyst. Uh, I think the, the core skill, the most important skill of that person um, is actually communication, I think, because it's a new role uh, in your company. And the only way to make a role success is to really embed it in the company and to have the whole company understand how they can make use of that new function that they're in the company. So you really need someone that can explain very well what he is doing about what what he can offer but it also can explain really well the insights that he gets from the data, for instance. Um, so I think uh, technical skills are definitely also important in the uh, for data scientists and, and analysts. However, for your first role, I think um, it's more like checkboxes, So people do need to have technical skills to be able to query a database and to, I always uh, jokingly ask the question, uh, be able to open the CSV with 1 million rows, which is the, when Excel, Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets uh, Stuff being uh, the tools to use. So for me, those are, are check boxes. that you, you can work with databases and with larger data. Uh, but the key thing is that you can communicate about it and really show the, the company how to get value from that data. That would, for me, be the first role. So I would, have, to be honest, if we have a role like this, we usually advertise it both as data scientists and as analysts, because we've just learned that people with this profile, like some of them call themselves analysts and others call themselves data scientists. Um, so we opened the same job with two two job titles, and yeah, so far that uh, has worked well. Most people we hired apply to the data scientist uh, role, mm-hmm. which is also why we now standardize the job title here just to be a data scientist.
1: Mm-hmm. What we oftentimes see is that um, instead of hiring this analyst person or job profile that you just described, startups, um, maybe because it's a hype out there, uh, tend to want to hire a data scientist very early on. And that's uh, one of the mistakes I would say you can make if you're very early because usually this data scientist um, wants to focus on building models and needs a lot of data already that is also to somewhat clean, uh, to some degree clean. Um, So it's probably not the first person to hire because if you're very early, then this person might get very bored easily. Um, And this is why you described communications to being one of the skills that are actually really relevant. When you yourself joined Katawiki, what did the team look like at that point?
0: Well, yeah, back then um, we were working closely with uh, with Project A, <laughs> um, so the, essentially how we build it up is with um, yeah the BI team of Project A helped us to to both do the data engineering and the the first uh, like say dashboarding and analysis. So we worked with what was back then called the product managers and uh, data engineers from Project A. Mm-hmm. Um, and I together actually with a couple other people were hired to sort of take that over. So for a couple months, Project AS uh, had set it up and then got to be hired their own people, which I think is also how you really like to work to, uh, to take that over. Um, so when I started, uh, the team was, um, so including the, the data engineers, I think the team was uh, six or seven. So some of them were, um, and then we already had some like different focus areas. So some were data engineers. Other were more uh, data scientists that like building models. And others were more on the, uh, the, the the business analysis side, so really doing analysis to, with stakeholders in the company.
1: So basically summarizing that, you're saying that there is, on the one hand, a job profile rather being called a data engineer, which is more on the tech side, could also be a back-end engineer in the beginning. Yeah. And then there is what you use uh, the word data scientist for, but also analyst, a person with more of a business focus, strong in communications, and also, if the technical skills allow for it, building the models that the company yeah. needs. Yeah, okay. exactly. And um, so you describe what the team looks like today. Uh, how big does the team need to be um, in general when it comes to a company, but also your plans uh, regarding Katawiki? Yeah, that's,
0: uh, that's, that can be a tough question. I mean in general, how big should your technology team be can be a tough question. Definitely. Because I think as a startup and definitely a technical startup or a skill up or with a tech component, essentially, if you have enough engineers, then you have a problem because I think, I really believe you should always have more IDs than the people you have in the company. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a hard question. I think for us, what I've seen over the years, we have been understaffed and overstaffed a bit. And I think, so the more you're understaffed, um, you will notice that that then you will hit a spot where you're only reactive. So you'll get a lot of requests in from all departments and, and there are so many requests that, that to do them all and then even already being critical about the request and then pushing back and challenging people on why they need it. Still, if you're under stuff, you'll, you'll be just in a situation where you're just reactive, which in a way is not bad because you're really doing things that other people need that will have an impact. However, I think um, with a data team, you can also, add value by being a bit more proactive because in the teams you have specific skills that are not out, outside the team present. So outside the team, people will not realize sometimes that, that certain possibilities are there with, like, with the current things that are out there in the world uh, in data science. So I think the right size of the team is if you're like half of the time you're reactive or maybe even slightly more than half of the time, but the rest of the time you can be a bit more proactive and really think about what the departments around you are doing Really think about from your own skill set, like how can we improve that? What can we build? What can we analyze to uh, to make it better? So, uh, and if you're only have, if you're only proactive, so you don't have that many requests and that's like it's a walk in the park, then you're probably a bit overstuffed. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's a bit about that uh, balance.
1: Okay, you were already touching a bit upon the workflows and the processes on being proactive versus reactive. Before we dive a bit deeper into this, because I think there's a lot to learn from a company that has been growing this fast. Um, One more question to the team setup. So is it really important who this team reports to? Um, Because I see business intelligence slash data teams reporting to the CFO very often, sometimes to the COO, and sometimes even directly to the CEO. Um, Would you say that matters? Well, it it definitely matters, of course. (laughs) Um, So
0: here at Katowiki, um, most of the time we've been reporting to the CEO. Although now since half a year, we're reporting to the CPO. Um, so that's the chief product of chief product. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, anything can work as long as the, the functional reporting to doesn't claim the team. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I'm reporting to the, the chief product, but he knows that many people in my team are working on marketing and operations and experts, and he will not claim the team for his own product agenda. I think that's the biggest risk of of tying the team to one function is then that that function will claim the team. I think therefore also CFO could work quite well because in a way the finance is also sort of a centralized function. So they will not easily claim an entire data science team to work on finance things because there's not really a search team. So I can imagine that works as well. I think actually what works best, but that only, you can only do that if you're big enough Uh, and so even bigger than we are currently is I think at some point every function also just need their own analytical team but then Mm -hmm. I think you need a team needs to be a a couple of people so they can learn from each other and they can uh, challenge each other and spread the work together so by the time you reach the size that in your central team there's multiple people working on every department I think it starts making sense to to split the teams a bit and have really a marketing analytics team or a product analytics team uh, those type of things
1: but you're not at that stage yet, right? So I yeah. understood that you have one central team still yeah, exactly. um, working with different focus areas, but you didn't uh, decide to split the team just now. No, so in the, in the the we do sort of split two focuses
0: within the team. Um, so the team is nine at the moment, data science and analytics, uh, excluding the data engineers who are in another team. And essentially within the team, we now split two focus areas. So there's a couple of people focusing on what we call supply and demand. So that's... Um, yeah, everything around marketing and supply and uh, anything that has to do with that. And the other group of people is focusing on uh, product and customer. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, well, I think the name speaks for itself. However, we have not at all built a wall between those two teams. So we're still sitting together with all of us uh, and working also together. If like Some topics are also overarching, like cancellations are always a good example. The whole company is affected by cancellations and in all departments, you can do something to improve it. Uh, So we're quite flexible there. But we do have, at the moment, focus areas. And I can imagine if the team continues to grow, that those focus areas also will grow to be teams at some point. Mm
1: -hmm. So you've been touching upon the workflow um, before on how the data team works together and also together with stakeholders. Um, I imagine for a company still being quite young, but scaling very fast, um, there are quite some learnings to be made when it comes to that. Um, would be cool if you could describe um, what the working mode today is and how you got there because of stuff not working in the past, um, and how you figured out what the best working mode for you is. Yeah. Yeah. So, what always is a big
0: uh, topic I think in, in these type of teams, which are sort of like central but working with a lot of different topics, is the amount of overhead and meetings that you want to have in the team. Um, and that can be quite a, a challenge because if you have too much overhead it's just people don't have enough time to focus on on making really an impact and if you have a startup there's always there's so much to work on just to to improve it which is usually more important than to write a very thorough documentation about your previous project um,
1: that's what, what you mean by overhead so documenting or can you can you yeah, specify yeah, yeah what sure project? yeah so okay.
0: overhead can be documenting um, it can be maintaining a backlog um, mm-hmm. it can be like uh, update meetings with, for instance, the entire team. Um, mm-hmm. So where one person talks about their, uh, their topic. It can be a workflow. So for instance, if you start an analysis or a project, do you always use the same format uh, or do you always just uh, freewheel entirely? It can be about uh, sharing work. So maybe you've written a very long, complicated query. And it of course, helps if someone else the next time doesn't need to do that. Um, and I mean, all of these things are good in general to do. So I don't want to be like... Overhead, as in uh, negative and uh, useless, uh, that's not not (laughs) what I mean. It's just finding the right balance there is is often Mm -hmm. the the challenge.
1: And how do you do that?
0: Yeah, so uh, I think by experimenting a bit with it and being a bit agnostic about it as well. So uh, how we currently work is we have uh, stand-ups with the entire team, uh, which we do two times a week, where everyone in the team gives a, a small update about what they're doing. And there with the frequency of those spend-ups we also just we experimented a bit and um, i think you can be very clear about it i I typically when i schedule something new with the team i always schedule like four times or six times and then we after that we just quickly evaluate together like is it adding value to come together or or to do this specific task so i don't really like deciding things and saying it will be like this from now on i like to test things and then decide together if, if people believe it's adding value for them um and so about those more documentation uh, overhead things uh, i I just mentioned um, what we use there is we have sort of a a three-point scale for everyone's work yeah so those those three levels we are uh, we have uh, from top to bottom is so the first let's say the lowest level is uh, ad hoc analysis or ad hoc data requests or the first proof of concepts of uh, data science models Um, so what we agree together is that if you do that, you yourself take accountability for the accuracy and the quality of it. So if you think uh, you need a second pair of eyes, for instance, to look at your code, you do it. If you're fine with it and you, you're willing to be accountable for what you did, that's also fine. So there's no need to, to do anything uh, there that you have to do. Um, we share methodology and best practices. So if you wrote this query or this script or this, you discovered this new library, Um, in team meetings or stand-up or Slack channels or or we also have a a weekly where you can uh, create pages you share your methodology Um, but what we do there is we focus on that things are actionable um, and that we prioritize and challenge them uh, on impact so it's really our our quick working uh, uh, bucket let's say
1: and how much percentage of your weekly work goes into these ad hoc analyses or the first point that you're describing for
0: the entire team I would say that's about let's say 30 to 40%. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a bit, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot uh, of time goes into that. Um, then the second level we have is uh, what we call business dashboards or models for internal use or uh, MVPs, right? So an MVP is something that we could already put into production in some way, but as a very minimal first version. Um, there it's all of the above. So we are accountable and we share methodology. But there's a next point, uh, the code that you use has to be accessible, and robust uh, so with accessible it means that everyone in the team is able to find it also to use it so it doesn't need to be entirely self-explanatory but at least they know where to find the code and can see a bit mm-hmm. what the code does and robust means that if you were to leave the company or, or get sick or would not have time to work on it that it's built in a way that it can continue running for like the foreseeable future which you make need to make other decisions uh, about it.
1: And how do you ensure that? Is there already a code review going on for these kind of things? Or is that the third step uh, where you would say, now you have a second person reviewing what has been written?
0: So in, in the third step, that's uh, indeed a mandatory thing. But in this, in this second level, um, it's essentially the responsibility of the person working on this to make sure that code is accessible and robust. So a good way of doing that is, of course, to discuss it with your colleagues and show what you built and tell them, hey, can you take a look at what I did? But I, I make it the own responsibility of the person uh, working on it. But then indeed the, the third level which is models that run on production and with that i mean really models that run on our website and maybe serve like thousands of uh, recommendations or something else per minute or per hour um, then again all of the above but there we need uh, always two pairs of eyes so make sure that someone else really saw your code and uh, also like went through it and agrees with the, how you set things up um, and that the code is uh, scalable and uh, self-explanatory with scalable, uh, we mean that you really thought about uh, what would happen if you will get 10 times as many requests or mm-hmm. if it will be about much more data or you want to extend it with future improvements and your code is ready for that. And self-explanatory means that it's not only accessible and robust, but that someone who would find your code sort of can really easily go through it and understand uh, what's happening there. So this sort of the, the, the three levels that we use Um, A lot of it is own responsibility for everyone in the team. I I like a lot to give responsibility to to the people in the team. Um, So this is our framework um, that everyone uses and has to be accountable for.
1: Mm -hmm. So you described how you basically make sure that the overhead uh, is not getting too much but there's also not too little because you acknowledge that there's some value to it. And you give the responsibility for this to the team by having these principles that you all uh, believe in. You also said that you have um, Um, stand-ups twice a week. Um, How do you prioritize the work? So you've been saying before that um, you believe in being proactive as a data team. Um, While doing that, how do you make sure that um, everybody in the team is still working on the highest priorities? Um, That's that's oftentimes a question you already said yourself, that if the team is probably a a tiny bit too small, you're drowning in work and only working um, reactively, And even then, prioritization is a key challenge. How do you solve that here? Yeah, so I think stand-ups do definitely
0: serve a a function there uh, because it makes everyone also aware of what's happening in the company, right? Because everyone is sharing updates from the work they're doing, but everyone works in different functions. So it helps just to know if marketing is going to launch a big brand campaign, Mm -hmm. everyone should be aware of that because work can can relate to that. Um, But in terms of prioritization, we sometimes challenge each other on the, let's say, the urgent versus important uh, matrix, right? So you, you have essentially the, the four permutations of those, so non-urgent, but important, or not important, but urgent. It's um, the Eisenhower matrix. Oh, that could be. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's like a sort of a thing that we sometimes use together to discuss things, because everyone always has the tendency to work on urgent things, because there's people knocking at your door or your desk yeah. saying, I need this tomorrow, uh, and uh, the weak spot of our team, and I think data teams in general, is always the non-urgent important things. So the things that would really improve something, but yeah, they're not really urgent. So you always have them at number three in your priorities list. But then once you've finished one and two, there's a new one and two on there.
1: And you're doing that in the stand-ups together? So there you don't do an additional planning meeting like sprints or scrum or anything, but really more ad hoc in the stand-ups when you're all together Um, saying what you're working on and then challenging each other um, on the urgency and the importance of each topic.
0: Yeah, so we either mention it there indeed, uh, or like I have one-on-ones with everyone in the team and also the team Mm -hmm. meets together. And that's also like a platform where we will do that. We don't do a shared uh, planning meeting for instance, because there uh, the level of detail that it requires per function is quite high. So that means that someone that works on marketing uh, data science really has to explain in depth what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the other people on the team, that's that's not relevant at that point anymore. So a planning meeting will take quite long, but all the time will be useful for mostly one or two people in that room. So we do that in smaller groups, so the people that work together on the topic can discuss together what priorities should be, rather than that we take the entire team and discuss everyone's priorities.
1: All right, understood. In the beginning, we opened this podcast by saying that there's a lot of data projects that actually fail. Um, And you outlined a bit on how you try to avoid this and actually drive value for Katawiki. Maybe to summarize what we've been discussing, what do you think is the main reason why data projects so often fail to deliver actual business value? Yeah, I think there's
0: there's two main reasons. Um, I think first, uh, don't start too complicated would be my advice which is like, data science can be super complicated and that's yeah, it's also super nice to work on because the people in the field they like to work on complex things and use the latest neural network libraries and I mean the possibilities with that are really fantastic right but they should not be your proof of concept or your MVP or your first version um, it's better to first get something simple on the road uh, out there and then improve it from there and I think that's a mistake that sometimes is made that people want to start right away with the perfect solution. Um, and I think a second is that, um, yeah, as I mentioned, the team should really be focused on the rest of the company as opposed to focused on themselves because the value is in the department and not in the data team. So you, you really need people that are collaborators. And I think, uh, yeah, if you, if you do, do, do these things uh, right, so really focus on the easy things at the beginning where you can have an impact and iterate from there, and, and hire people that just love working together, <laughs> uh, I think then uh, yeah, you can really make a data team a success for your company.
1: All right, then thank you very much, Hank. Uh, I think we learned a lot about how the data team at KataWiki works and also can generalize a bit from that. So to summarize, uh, what I really like is the pragmatic approach um, to it. Uh, oftentimes data is a lot about accuracy, but as we heard from you, when it comes to the collaboration and also working with stakeholders, Um, And even when it comes to the first job description, you can be very pragmatic about it. And I really like that you said when it comes to job descriptions, you test these one against each other. Um, When it comes to the collaboration in the team, you also test this by just asking, does this meeting or stand-up actually drive value? Um, So really refreshing approach to it. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, In the next podcast we'll do, uh, we'll talk a bit more about a certain topic of Katawiki's which is going to be marketplace liquidity so basically how to manage the balance between demand and supply on a marketplace looking very much forward to that thank you very much hank
0: yeah thank you i enjoyed and looking forward to the next episode